Morning, church. How we doing this morning? We doing well? Yes. Let's have you stand to your feet if you would. We're going to worship, and if you're at home, we're thankful you're joining us today as well. We're going to worship together, then we're going to hear from God's word.
seats if you like. Yeah, let's respond to the Lord is good. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day when I see my Savior face to face. And we know that what earth has to offer now is nothing compared to the future. We have so much to look forward to. Let's sing this together.
Father, you are worth every bit of praise and more this morning. We are thankful that you are, because without your greatness, we are hopeless. We're thankful for the gift of your Son as we think about even this weekend and what it signifies. The triumphal entry of Christ, proclaiming his kingdom has come, although it didn't look right away like people thought it would. God, we praise you and thank you that your Son was willing to follow through with what he came to do because without that we are lost and we are hopeless and we're so thankful that he rose again to victory to prove that he was who he said he was we pray now that you would help us as we hear from your word let us be changed now in Christ's name, amen good morning church I love saying that to you guys. I hope you enjoy hearing it every time I get up here. If you are a guest this morning, I just want to say thank you so much for being here this morning. Were you guys blessed by that worship time? My name is uh, Pete. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of delivering this morning's message. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to grab it right now and find your way to the book of John. John chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. This, this morning is actually a special morning in, in church. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. It's a, a day that church historically has celebrated the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem the week prior to his crucifixion and resurrection. And so this morning, we're going to just take a moment to step out of our series in Acts to focus on uh, Christ, and to begin to prepare our hearts for Easter. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I love living in the Pacific Northwest. I, I love living here because there's so many beautiful things to see. Uh, and I love living here in the Willamette Valley because it seems like we can go uh, about an hour in any direction and kind of see something unique, something special. Uh, we can go an hour to the west and we can see the beautiful ocean. We can go an hour to the east and we can see uh, the mountains and the high deserts of central Oregon. We can go south and we can find ourselves on beautiful rivers like the Mackenzie. Uh, we can go an hour north and we can find ourselves in Vancouver, Lord willing. <laughs> but there is a lot of things here. What I love about the Pacific Northwest is that every time we can travel, there's something about, even though we've been there maybe dozens and dozens of times, we get to see something that should stir our affections for our Creator. The Bible tells us that creation declares something to us. It, it, it proclaims something to us if we will listen for it. It's going to tell us about God. It's going to tell us about who He is. And so this morning, I want us to look at a familiar text. The, the text in John chapter 12 is one of four gospel accounts that records 
the events that kind of surrounded Jesus' triumphal entry. And I want us just to look at this, and I want us to kind of think about the glory of God this morning. Why would that be significant to us? I think every time we gaze upon the glory of God, it should leave us changed. I don't think we should be able to, to kind of gaze upon the Lord and then walk away from it and then go, oh, all right, where are we going? What's for lunch? You know, a few years ago, we had the eclipse. You guys remember that? You remember all the hubbub about the eclipse? It was actually a great precursor to what was going to happen with a global pandemic. You know, water's disappearing. There was going to be gridlock. Remember, you're supposed to have gallons of gas in your car because I-5 was going to be a parking lot. But you remember, we all had to get those glasses if we wanted to look at the eclipse, right? Because if you look at an eclipse and you don't have protection, it will leave a permanent mark on your eyes. It could hurt you. I think there's something about gazing upon the glory of God that should leave an, a permanent mark on us every time we do it. And even when we come across a familiar passage of Scripture, I don't want us to get bored with it because the glory of God is being declared to us today. And so I, I've just, I mean, those songs that we sang this morning, I didn't know the run that AJ was going to pick out, but I mean, those last couple of songs uh, talking about the glory of God and how much we need him. I need him this morning. Do you need him this morning? Yes. Do you need the Lord to meet you right where you're at this morning? I think you will, and I think part of that comes from gazing upon his glory. So what is Palm Sunday? Well, Palm Sunday is, is just this name that was given to this day. A week before Christ was going to be crucified and rise from the dead, he comes into Jerusalem to what is known as a triumphal entry. Now, this is interesting because triumphs usually happen after a battle, but yet Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet, and yet he is coming in as a king. He's riding on a donkey. He's being met with fanfare as people are celebrating him and saying, Hosanna, the king of Israel, he is here. And so this morning, I want to look at some of the statements that take place that Jesus gives us just after that event here in John chapter 12. We're going to be uh, starting a little bit later in the chapter, verse 20 is where we're going to start. And I want us to look at some statements that kind of reveal to us Jesus' mindset when he came into the city. And I want us to ponder the glory of God because here's what I believe to be true. We will worship what we see as most glorious. We will worship today what we believe is the most glorious thing that we're looking at. And so my question to you this morning is, what are you looking at? I'm not talking about what have you been reading or what have you been viewing, but in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, what have you been captivated by? What has had your attention? What do you keep gravitating towards? Because whatever it is that you believe is the most glorious is the thing that you will worship. And so, Let's look at what Christ said as he comes into this city, as he's been greeted now, riding in on a donkey, palm branches waving, people shouting, Hosanna. Let's see what Christ said was his purpose for coming in at this time. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's word? John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, we will read our text this morning. If you're ready, say ready. This is the word of the Lord. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival, so they came to Philip, 
who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came. I have glorified, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Do you believe that Jesus said these words? Yes. He absolutely did. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we just now take our full attention and give it to you, to give it to your word, I pray that you would open our eyes. God, that we would behold your glory and that your glory would make an impression on our mind and in our thoughts and in our will. God, speak to us through your word, Lord. Help us to hear it through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I uh, grew up playing sports and I had the opportunity to coach for a long time and, and I loved it. One of the things I loved from even when I was a, a student athlete until I became a coach, it, it, this thing always got me. I always loved the moment right before our team would take the floor or run out onto the field. There was something about just the, the kind of anticipation. There had been a lot of preparation, and we were excited to go and perform. We were excited to go compete. We were excited to go play, and it was like anytime that door would open and we would burst out onto the court or the coach said, all right, let's take the field, and we'd run out there. Man, there was just such excitement to be able to do it because it was time to play the game. There was a lot of commotion at this Passover in Jerusalem. People from all over the world would have traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. They had been doing it for centuries. And, and there was a lot of hubbub because Jesus' ministry was peaking. His fame was spreading out all throughout that region. He had just come off, if you read earlier in John chapter 11, he had just come from bringing somebody who was dead back to life. He wasn't just a medical doctor. This man who had been dead, had been put in a tomb, had been laying there dead for days, multiple days. And Jesus calls out to his friend Lazarus, and Lazarus not only rises up, but he walks out alive. Who has the power to do that but God? 
And so Jesus has just done this. And if you were to take time this week to read through the book of John, you would see that in the first 11 chapters, there are seven different signs that John records in his gospel of things that Jesus did that reveal his divine power. And in the latter part of John, in John chapter 20, John tells us that the reason why he even wrote this gospel account was so that we would come after him, not having seen Jesus, and we would read his eyewitness testimony, we would see the things that Jesus had done, and we would believe them for our salvation. We would believe in him and have life in his name. See, what John believed was this, you all have life, meaning you all are breathing right now, you all have the ability to have some mental capabilities, you are functioning in a physical, tangible way, but there's a life that you don't possess apart from Christ. And it's only that when you believe in him and you trust in the gospel that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, and then he was crucified, not for his own sins, he had done nothing wrong, but by dying on the cross, he was able to take your sin and my sin and die for it. And now has offered us a, a gift, a true gift, no strings attached, nothing that we could ever give him in return. He's given us a gift, the opportunity to believe in him and to have our sins forgiven, to, to be then filled with the Holy Spirit and to be in relationship with our creator once again. And John is saying, I hope you will believe this because there is a life available to you that you don't possess apart from Christ, but if you will believe, it is all yours. And so John writes this account about Jesus coming in. Now Jesus had been doing these signs, and it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all the chief priests had gotten together after Lazarus had been risen from the dead, and they saw this and they said, what are we going to do? If we don't do something, we are going to lose control of these people. Everything that we have is going to be lost, and everyone is going to follow this man, Jesus, because they saw it and did not believe. And it says that they began to plot to kill Jesus. See, they've had a desire to kill Jesus. It tells us throughout John's accounts in the first 11 chapters that they made many attempts to try to grab Jesus, and Jesus eluded their capture. In fact, there were many times where people were actually trying to push Jesus up and try to exalt him and try to say, you're the king, let's put you out there, let's tell everybody that you're here. Jesus said, it's not time yet. But now here, in John chapter 12, Jesus says, the hour has come. It's time. It's time. And, and this wasn't a time, and this wasn't probably that most ideal time, because now all the people that are for him are for him, and, and like he's not going to be able to do this secretly and quietly, but the Pharisees have said, if you see Jesus, tell us where he is, because we want to arrest him, and we have a desire to kill him. Jesus being God knows this, so if you're thinking about the perfect time to come in and try to establish yourself as a king, and you want to do it in a way that maybe prevents you from getting arrested and killed, it's probably not in this moment. But Jesus comes at this moment. And one of the first things that hits me as I read this account is that his timing often doesn't make any sense to us, but it's always the right time. It's always the right time. And so Jesus comes into the town, and it says that he says it is time the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That is the verse, verse 23, that has captivated my attention this entire time. Jesus' fame is at its peak. He just brought Lazarus back to life, but so is the opposition. They want to kill him. And there's skepticism 
as people start to whisper, do you think he's going to come? Do you think Jesus is going to be here? Many people said, no, why would he show up? And he does. And he arrives hearing these shouts that we read a little bit earlier. If you have your Bibles open, you can see it here in verse 13. It says they took palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, and they kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That word Hosanna means save now. What they literally start to shout is, our king is here. Save us. Give us the victory that we've been looking forward to. Free us from our oppressors. Allow us to be the chosen people that's elevated, that's glorified above all other nations. And you know what? It was totally appropriate and right for them to say that. If you were to take time, and we don't have time this morning to do a study of it, but if you were to look back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel has a vision in Daniel chapter 7. In verses 13 and 14, he actually makes a prophetic statement. He, he's prophesying of something that is going to come, and this is what he says. Daniel writes, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man, remember that term, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. So here Daniel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God giving him this vision, Daniel tells us that there's coming a, a man, a Savior, who's going to be exalted, glorified, lifted up by God, and given a kingdom that's over all other kingdoms. And it's referred to here as the Son of Man. In the Gospel of Counts, this is Jesus' favorite reference of himself. He, over 70 times in the Gospel, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. So everyone who's following him, everyone who grew up going to uh, the, the, the gathering and listening to the Old Testament preached would have heard this. The Son of Man is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. And here Jesus is now for three and a half years been saying, the Son of Man is here. The Son of Man is here. The Son of Man is here. And he comes in, and here you have these people are saying, he's here. The Son of Man, the one that's going to come in, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and all other kingdoms are going to fall. They're going to break apart, and he is going to deliver us, and his nation will never see an end. And so you have Jesus, the self-proclaimed Son of Man, having just raised someone to life, riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, which is a significant point. Because in Zechariah, it tells us that that Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey. And so here he is. It seems like everything is pointing to this direction. It seems like that moment just before running out onto the field, just already taking the court, just before starting this amazing thing. The time is here for Christ to be glorified, to be king, to use his might and to use his power, and to use his resources, and to use his influence 
to wipe out the Roman oppression, to put the Pharisees in the right place, and to establish his physical kingdom. And Jesus says, you're right, it is time. It is time for me to be glorified. But it's not going to be how you think. Glory means to praise. It means to highlight. It means to lift up above everything else, to put it in a supreme position. When we talk about glorifying something, we're talking about acknowledging something as supreme, as above all else. It's putting it in its rightful place to, to honor it. And Jesus acknowledges that the time has come for him to be glorified, but his glorification wouldn't be secured through human strength. It wouldn't be secured through human resources, finances, connections. And it wouldn't be secured through his influence, his ability to convince people. He would be lifted up, exalted, glorified in a very different way. Different than any other human king. And it's these three ways that I want us to look at for just a moment. What are the three ways that we see in this passage that Jesus said he would be glorified? And why are these so important to us? And what example do they provide for us? That's where we're heading in the, in the next few minutes, okay? The first way that Jesus would be glorified would be by his sacrifice on the cross. Now this wouldn't make any sense. This is the one that Daniel said is going to come. He's going to establish his kingdom and will have no end. And then you even see the confusion they have later on here in our passage in chapter 12, where it says in verse 34, the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus says the time has come for me to be glorified, but I I'm going to give my life. Jesus replies back to them, and he tells them why. He says, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. How could giving yourself to die be something that lifts you up above everything else? It's because what Jesus was about to do, what he had come to do, was to do something and accomplish something that none of us could accomplish to do something that only God could do. There were lots of human kings that had lots of power, money, and influence that could come into a territory and perhaps win a battle and establish themselves and glorify themselves as a king. We, we know about this through history. There were lots of emperors, lots of kings, lots of rulers who would come in, wipe out a people with brute force, with money, with influence, with betrayal. They would set up statues to themselves and they would make people worship them as God. And yet someone later on would come in and wipe them out. And yet this king would be glorified in a position and, and given dominion and given a kingdom that would have no end, not through might, but through sacrifice. This is consistent to anybody who has followed Jesus. This is consistent with time with Jesus, who heard Jesus teach. Jesus was always giving us insights to his kingdom and telling us that my kingdom is not going to be like any kingdom here on earth. Everything that my kingdom is going to be is going to seem like an upside-down version of what you think is going to be awesome. 
But here's why you want to be in my kingdom. In my kingdom, that's where I'm at, and it's better to be with me than in a kingdom built by your own hands. Do you believe that? Do you, no, no, do you really believe that? That God's kingdom is better than any kingdom that you could ever build yourself? Do you believe that God's kingdom is more glorious than anything that claims to be glorious here on earth? That's what he's telling us. And so through his death, much life was produced. He tells us this, look at verse 32 with me. Jesus is saying, as for me, I am lifted up from the earth. I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. I love this idea of lifted up. I, I think it's, it's, it's uh, prophetical. It's a fulfillment statement because he talked about just as the, the bronze serpent was lifted up in the desert back when they were the people of Israel wandering in the, in the wilderness and they had been complaining. And so God sent a bunch of fiery serpents in there and, and he told Moses that if he make this bronze serpent, raise it up on a stick and anyone who looks at that serpent would be healed. And Jesus has already referred to himself and said, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to come and I'm going to be lifted up on a stake and everyone who will believe in me will be healed, will be forgiven. Jesus has said, I'm going to be lifted up. But I just love the, the double meaning here that I, I kind of sense by reading this. Not only would he physically be lifted up on a cross to pay for our sins, but through that sacrifice, he would be lifted up, exalted above everything else, every other king, every other kingdom. He would be lifted up, glorified by being lifted up on a cross. This is the first way that he'd be glorified. And it, it shook him. <laughs> like, what? That's not what we were expecting. But there's a second way that Jesus would be glorified, and that is by his submission to the Father. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. I believe Jesus in his humanity understood what he was about to do. He understood the pain he was about to feel, the rejection, the hurt, the betrayal, the physical pain and toil. I believe he understood everything that he was about to endure for you and for me. And I can understand why that would be a, a, a heavy feeling. Then he says this, what should I say though? Father, save me from this hour. Father, let me off the hook. Give me another way. Find somebody else. Tag, I want to be out. He, he's saying that as almost like in, 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 with, with the answer just kind of right obvious. Why would I ask the Father to deliver me? This is the, the reason I came for this moment. This is what it's all been about. Jesus was about the Father's glory above his own. Jesus cared more about God being glorified, the Father, than even himself being glorified as God. And the result of this submission to the Father's will was that the Father glorifies the Son. If you have a pen and you want to write down this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 I'm going to read it to you right now. You're welcome to hop over if you have a Bible, but if you don't want to, that's fine. Just listen to it. But this is what it says. It says, We should adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. 
All Paul is saying there is, Jesus is God as much as God the Father is God. But the Father's will was to send the Son, and the Son didn't say, well, I'm God too, let's send somebody else. He said, no, I'll do that, I'll obey the Father's will. And it says, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And listen to this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, listen, to the glory of the God of God the Father. Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. And in doing so, the Father glorified the Son, lifted him up and said, this is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. He has a name that's above every other name. He is the Son of Man. He is the one that will have a kingdom that will never fail. He is the Messiah. Jesus' glorification from the Father was not going to be secured by Jesus' own attempts to do something in his humanity. It was going to be completely done through his obedience to the Father's will. And so he submitted to the Father, and he was glorified. Jesus knew that. I believe that's what he knew when he said, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He knew that it was going to come through him giving his life on the cross. He knew that it was going to come through him submitting himself to the will of the Father. And there's a third thing that would lead to him ultimately being glorified and made, declared once and for all, in all finality, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that is he would be glorified by the service of his followers. Jesus is is talking about how he's going to give his life, and he uses an illustration, a, a farming illustration, or an idea from vegetation that you can have this seed, but unless that seed dies and goes in the ground, it's just going to remain and be a, a seed that dies. It, has not, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't multiply. It's just by itself. But if it has died and it is planted, it has the potential to produce much fruit. I believe that he says that about himself, but then he gives this example for those who would come after him. Jesus is our model. He is the standard. And I want you to hear this. You cannot follow Jesus if you do not follow his example. You can say that you're following him and you believe in him, but the proof of that is going to be, and I am following him. I am where he is at. I am doing what he does. I am saying, this is, my life is not my own. I'm saying that the Father's will is supreme to my will. I'm willing to lose my earthly life for His glory, knowing that there is a, a, a life waiting for me in heaven that cannot be touched, that is worth it all. When we serve Christ over self, we are acknowledging Him as supreme. That's glorifying Him. 
every time I have that moment in my flesh where I could say, I want to do this, but God's word says this, and I say, I'm going to, because of the power of the Holy Spirit that has broken the hold of sin control in my life, and I choose to say, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk in him. I'm going to abide in the spirit. I'm going to choose him over myself. Every time I make that choice, he is glorified because it's his life in me that actually lives that out. It's not about Pete. It's about Christ in me. It's not about you. It's about Christ in you. Every time I choose Christ, every time I choose to obey him and to be guided by the Holy Spirit, I'm glorifying him. And acknowledging that with, is, is glorifying to him. When I serve him, when I serve the Lord, I'm glorifying him. I'm putting him on display. Everyone can look at my life and say, who is being raised up? Who is it that I serve? Who is it that I see most glorious? It's Jesus Christ. And I pray that when you look at my life, you would see someone that says, that guy's been with Jesus. I see Jesus in him. That's my desire. And it's possible because of Christ. One of Jesus' closest disciples, Peter, would go on later to write a couple of short letters at the end of the New Testament. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, Peter says this. He gives us a reminder of what our purpose is and what we're supposed to be about. He says, Just as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve others. As good stewards of the varied grace of God, if anyone speaks... Let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus came at that time, at the peak of his fame, but also at the peak of his opposition, because it was the right time to come and to be glorified, to be lifted up, to be validated, to be presented as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Christ, the Messiah. But he wasn't going to do it in his own ability. He was going to do it by surrendering his life on the cross, by submitting to the Father's will, and then eventually his followers would glorify him and acknowledge his position as King of kings and Lord of lords through their obedience to him. Christ's glory was on display all throughout his ministry, but the pinnacle of his glory would be displayed on what would happen now in the next coming days as he would do these things. And these have been recorded in the word of God for us to re read. We could read them every day if we wanted to and just revel in the glory that is being communicated to us through the pages of scripture. To see him high and lifted up to see him as he truly is. So why does this matter? Why would this be important for us this morning to turn our attention to what Christ is saying is his mindset? I'm coming in to be glorified. I'm coming in, but this is not about me self being, you know, kind of glorifying self. I'm going to be glorified by sacrifice. I'm going to be glorified by submission. So what? I believe that this glory, what Christ did for us, should, shouldn't just stir us to worship him, 
shouldn't just stir us to come in next Sunday for Easter and be like, man, we have so much to celebrate. But I think one of the reasons that we celebrate, one of the reasons we worship is not just because it's obvious through this testimony and through the reality of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that we have, we need to worship him because he's proven he is God. But we need to celebrate because it's through this, it's because of what he's done that we can actually be justified. We can actually stand before God and he looks at us and says, that's my child because we are in the Son. See, Jesus' glorification not only validated him as king, but it made, us po- made it possible for us to be citizens, not enemies. Citizens of his kingdom, not outsiders. His glory is on display. He did what he said he was going to do. And so I just have two final thoughts for us this morning. The first is this. The point of life is the glory of God. Do you know that Jesus came to Calvary and he did so for the glory of the Father? It's very, very true, because Scripture tells us it's true, that he came to the cross, and part of his motivation was a love for us. I mean, Paul tells us in Romans that God demonstrated how much he loved us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. It is true that he was motivated by his own love for us, not out of a reciprocal love, but out of an agape love, an unconditional love. That that led him to Calvary. But do you know that wasn't his primary motivation? His primary motivation was the glory of the Father. And I've been wrestling in my own devotional this week. I've been wrestling through this text. I've been wrestling going, man, it's such a familiar story, God. What is it that you want me to share with your people And I've just had this thought kind of come back into my mind, and it's this God is for God. His glory is the most important thing to him. And I don't say that to diminish his love for us, but I think the order is important because sometimes we make it all about us, which is a way to self-glorify ourselves when it's all about him. And our desire to worship him and, and to glorify him and to acknowledge his glory may be diminished if we think the point of the story is that he came for me on the cross. He thought of me, he died for me, but his motivation, his primary motivation was the glory of the Father. And I think that needs to be our primary motivation. Not only is he such a good savior, he is such a great model for us to follow. So if the point of life is the glory of God, my question for you this morning is, is that true for you? Do you live to glorify God? This thought continues to wreck me. Because my instinctual Christian thought is absolutely 
But as I begin to reflect on just even this past week, has he been, has his glory been the motivation for everything I do and say? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. Peter, I just read, said, if you're going to speak, let it be for God's glory. If you're going to act, let it be for God's glory. I think that's the desire of my heart, but I'm not sure that I've been living it out. And so there, here's my potential, and maybe you can relate. My potential is to go, okay, well, this week I'm going to do a better job of living for God. And then I'm so quickly taken to what John's going to say. Jesus, he's going to record Jesus' words here just a few chapters later in chapter 15 that says, I am just a vine, or he is a vine, I'm just a branch. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And so we say, glorify your name. You got to be in me. I mean, this is so true. Even in me preparing to preach a sermon this morning, I've caught myself praying prayers, say, Lord, give me your word so that I can go deliver it. And then I'm like, what? God, speak through me. Don't give me the resource for then me to go carry it out on my own. Be the resource. Flow through me. I just want to be a branch. I need to stay connected to you because I want you to be glorified. I don't want me to be glorified. If the point of going to Calvary for Christ was the glory of God, the question for you this morning is, is that the point of your life to glorify the Lord? My last point is this. We will worship what we see as truly glorious. I think the glory of God gets diminished by the distraction of earthly things. <laughs> I don't think a lot of us, it's like just outright rebellion, like, oh, I'm upset at you, God. I'm tired of this, God. I'm going to go search for something better. I think if we have a broken world that's broken by sin, there is a ruler of this world, Satan, who is trying to destroy anyone who's following after Christ, who's trying to discourage them and diminish and distort what God's truth is. And if you don't believe that, just read Genesis chapter 3. He's been doing it since the beginning, and he's perfected it over thousands and thousands of years. And we live in a world that is not going to wait for us passively to decide if we want to come after it. It is trying to draw us away. It is trying to pull us away from God. It's trying to distort our attention and try to distract us. And I think that diminishes God's glory in our eyes. So how do we renew that? Well, it's like going to the coast. <laughs> I've seen the ocean. I've been in the ocean. But every time I go back and I just sit and I listen and I watch, I'm overwhelmed by creation. If you don't reflect looking at the ocean, maybe you're not hearing what God's trying to proclaim, the glory of his hands. We will worship what we see as truly glorious. So what is that in your life? What is the truly glorious thing, the thing that you've raised up and said, this is worthy of praise, this is worthy of honor, this is the most supreme thing, this is what is glorious. What is that in your life? Because I will tell you this, whatever that is, that is what you are worshiping. Jesus said, 
I'm here to glorify the Father. So I'm going to sacrifice this life. I'm going to submit to his will. I'm going to go to the cross. And he says, anyone who wants to follow me, anyone who wants to serve me, is going to have to follow that example. And Easter is the amazing celebration that that is possible because he did it. He died. He laid in a grave for three days and he rose from the dead. John said, I, I'm writing these things to you that you may believe in, in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The way to experience this satisfied life that John is talking about is by first believing in the gospel for your salvation, and then second is to live your life for the glory of God alone. My desire this morning and then leading into this week and then culminating next week with Easter services on Saturday and Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of, of Jesus, my hope is that we would reflect on the glory of the Lord this week that is revealed in the pages of Scripture and, and proclaimed so clearly through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and that by beholding the glory of God, we would believe it, and we would live for his glory alone. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just praise you for your love. God, you are glorious. You are true. It is your name that is above all names. Father God, I pray this week that we would reflect on your glory that we would reflect on, is this the point of our life? Are we living for your glory, God? What is it that we see as glorious? It's a word that could even be used so flippantly in our culture, but doesn't even touch or compare to what true glory is that we see in you. God, I pray that we would see your glory. Give us the spiritual eyes to perceive it, God, both in your creation and through your word. God, help us to see your son accurately. God, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the example he has left for us, that he was, even though God, willing to come and obey you, to, to give his life on the cross, and through his death, there has been much fruit. And God, I pray now that you would cause us to live for your glory alone, and that would lead us to live a life of service where we lay down our lives to serve you for your glory and your glory alone. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us this hope. Help us to take advantage, to embrace this satisfied life that you offer us. God, it's in your beautiful name we pray this. Amen. Now, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. It is encouraging to see this room fill up more and more each week. And this is a great week for us as we head into uh, what some call Passion Week. I want to encourage you to take time to read through the different gospel accounts that talk about what Jesus did for us on the way to the cross. And I would encourage you to join us next Saturday or Sunday, information on our church website, to celebrate Easter with us. It's going to be a tremendous morning of worship and the proclamation of God's word. 
you come, bring a family member, bring a friend, and join us for Easter at Salem Heights next week. The discussion questions are on the screen. Man, we're so thankful for you. Have a great week. You're dismissed.